0: Hey everybody, before we get started today, just a quick little note here. Uh, You might see what this episode is and think, is that really that bizarre? Here's the thing, I've kind of teetered back and forth on whether or not to cover the Monkees on this show, because in reality, not really that strange, but they were a band that was thrown together for a TV show, so it kind of fits in there, and uh, I have a personal soft spot for the Monkees, and I just saw them, supposedly their final show, last night uh, here in Los Angeles, And so I got them on the brain, and I kind of called an Audible this week and wanted to cover this. And I felt like, you know, they made this very bizarre movie in 1968 with a uh, soundtrack that was a little different for them as well. And I thought, why not take this time to cover this? So I just felt the need to explain that up top. And if you got a problem with it, meh. Listen or don't. (laughs) Uh, All right. That's it. On with the show. Hi, my name is Tony Thaxton. Like anyone else, I love a great album. But I also love those strange albums that might make you wonder how and why they even exist. But I'm not here to make fun of them. I'm here to celebrate them and tell their story. This is Bizarre Albums. Today's episode The Monkees Head from 1968. Film director, writer, and producer Bob Rafelson first moved to Hollywood with his family in 1962. While he was working as an associate producer for various TV shows and films, he began developing an idea for a series about a rock and roll band. The idea was inspired by his own time playing in a band in Mexico, and they were more interested in having fun than making a living. He tried selling the series to the television division of Universal Pictures, but they passed, leaving Rafelson to move on to other projects. But then in 1964, something huge came along, and that changed everything. It's been a-
1: The Beatles were emerging first out of Germany and then out of Liverpool, and then finally making their way towards America with hit songs. And one of the movies, The Hard Day's Night, had appeared. So the notion of a crazy, frolicsome four had been legitimatized by the appearance of
0: the Beatles. That's Bob Rafelson in the mini-documentary called From the Monkeys to Head from 2010. Rafelson would then team up with another TV and film producer, Bert Schneider, Together they would form Raybert Productions in 1965. Their first project together would be Rafelson's Rock and Roll Band show. This time, the idea was sold to Screen Gems. Initially, they wanted to use an actual pre-existing rock and roll band to be the stars of the show. The band they had in mind was the newly formed and little-known at the time New York folk group The Lovin' Spoonful.
1: Hot town, summer in the city, back of my neck getting dirty gritty.
0: The problem was, the Love and Spoonful had just signed a deal with Elektra Records, and this would deny Screen Gems the right to market music from the show. With them now out of the picture, the idea was to cast actors singers to play a band. So in early September 1965, an ad was run in both the Hollywood Reporter and Daily Variety. It read, Madness Auditions Rock and roll musicians, singers for acting roles in new TV series. Running parts for four insane boys aged 17 to 21. Want spirited Ben Franks types. Have courage to work. Must come down for interview. Over 400 applicants turned up. Only one of the four people that would eventually be cast in the show came from seeing the ad. My name is Michael Blessing. No, I want to hear the truth. No, that's it. I'm telling you, it's a pseudonym. How did you get to Nesmith? Well, uh, Nesmith is my real name. Well, how did you get to Blessing? It's a pseudonym. How did you happen to pick Blessing? Well, uh, why are you asking me that? That's weird. Get on something else. (laughs) (laughs) Mike Nesmith had studied drama in college and been working as a musician since 1963. Mickey Dolenz was the son of character actor George Dolenz, and had starred in a different TV series for Screen Gems called Circus Boy when he was just 11 years old. He played the character Corky and was credited under the stage name Mickey Braddock. Do
1: you suppose I could join the Rough Riders with you? You're a little young, don't you think? Well, you and Teddy are such good friends, maybe if you asked him. Well, they they do have drummer boys in the army. I can't play
0: a drum. British actor and singer Davy Jones had signed a contract with Screen Gems in 1964. He was fresh off playing the role of the artful Dodger in Oliver, both in London and later on Broadway, where he was nominated for a Tony. Jones signing with Screen Gems was a result of an appearance that the cast of Oliver had made on The Ed Sullivan Show on February 9, 1964, the same night that the Beatles had made their American debut.
1: You, Anything for you mean everything to me.
0: Jones had also signed with Colpix Records and released a solo album as David Jones in 1965. He even made a brief appearance on the Billboard chart with his single, What Are We Going to Do? peaking at number 93.
1: What are we going to do if the word gets out? What are we going to do if it gets about? What are we going to do if your dad finds out we're in love?
0: The final person that was cast came at the recommendation of musician Stephen Stills. Here's more from Bob Rafelson in the From the Monkeys to Head mini-doc.
1: Steve Stills said, if you could get me some teeth and some hair... I really would like to audition. And I said, we haven't got that kind of money that we can fix everybody up. Well, there's this other guy who looks a lot like me, and I think he's really a great musician, and he's playing in The Bear in Huntington. And that was Peter Tork, and that's
0: how Peter Tork came in. The head of the music department at Screen Gems was Don Kirshner. If you're a regular listener of Bizarre Albums, you've heard this name come up in the past. For more in-depth stuff on Kirshner, go back and listen to my episode on the Archies. Don Kirshner was nicknamed the Man with the Golden Ear. Kirshner's involvement with the show would be to find songs and songwriters to provide music. The actors would provide the singing voices, but the instruments were handled by session players. The actors would then pretend to play the instruments on the show. On September 12, 1966, The Monkees debuted on NBC.
1: Here we come down the street We get the funniest looks from everyone we meet
0: The self-titled debut Monkeys album would be released on Cole Gem's Records, October 10th, 1966. Both the series and the album were hits, seemingly a one hand washing the other situation. The TV show helped album sales. The album sales helped the TV show. The album spent 13 weeks at number one on the Billboard 200 and also had a number one single with Last Train to Clarksville.
1: The
0: The album that would kick the Monkees' debut out of the number one spot would be their follow-up more of the monkeys released on january 9th 1967 it stayed at number one for 18 weeks and this album also had a number one single written by neil diamond and it would go on to be the biggest selling single of
1: 1967 then i saw her face now
0: In the 2006 Rhino Deluxe Edition reissue of More of the Monkeys, there are liner notes from Mike Nesmith. They read, The first album shows up and I look at it with horror because it makes us appear as if we are a rock and roll band. There's no credit for the other musicians. I go completely ballistic and I say, what are you people thinking? The powers that be say, well, you know, it's the fantasy. I say, it's not the fantasy. You've crossed the line here. You are now duping the public. They know when they look at the television series that we're not a rock and roll band. It's a show about a rock and roll band. Nobody for a minute believes that we are somehow this accomplished rock and roll band that got their own television show. You putting the record out like this is just beyond the pale. Soon after the release of More of the Monkeys, Nesmith pushed for the band to be able to play on the albums and have creative control. And soon, Don Kirshner was out of the picture. Their first album with creative control would be released that May. Despite only having one single that barely cracked the top 40, Headquarters would go to number one, as would their following album, Pisces, Aquarius, Capricorn, and Jones Limited, released that November. That's four consecutive number one albums. This album had a top five single with Pleasant Valley Sunday, and another song recorded during the same sessions but not included on this album would be released as a single in October of 1967 and become the band's last number one single.
1: Cheer up,
0: Daydream Believer was also on the following album, The Birds, the Bees, and the Monkeys, released in April of 1968, peaking at number three. This was just less than one month after the cancellation of the TV series. But in the midst of all this, the monkeys had also began work on their first and only film. The ideas for the film came from large amounts of marijuana and a weekend trip to Ojai, California, where the monkeys, along with Bob Rafelson, and then little-known actor Jack Nicholson.
1: Wait till they get a load of me.
0: Yes, that Jack Nicholson. The six of them sat around, very stoned, spouting ideas and conversations into a tape recorder. Nicholson took the tapes home, and while he was on LSD, turned it all into a screenplay. And the result was... Well...
1: Not since the Ten Commandments. (laughs) If you liked Covered Wagon to me, to and to Beyond see. From Here to Eternity They can't be the Marx Brothers, they're too young Columbia Pictures presents The Monkees Mickey, Davey, Mike, Peter in Head That's right, Head What's it all about? Only Victor Mature's hairdresser knows for sure. Are you kidding? Head is the most extraordinary adventure, Western comedy, love story, mystery, drama, musical documentary, satire ever filmed.
0: The Monkees' film Head would premiere in New York on November 6, 1968. In addition to The Monkees, It featured cameos from Jack Nicholson, Terry Garr, Annette Funicello, Sonny Liston, and Frank Zappa. There's even brief non-speaking appearances from Dennis Hopper and Tony Basil. Unfortunately, Head was a flop. It was the exact opposite of what people had come to expect out of The Monkees. Though this was a much different direction, they were still The Monkees, so the movie also featured music. And on December 1st, 1968, Head, the soundtrack, was released on Jim's Records. No, that's not a little drop like I would normally play at this point in the show. That's actually part of track one, titled Opening Ceremony. I wanted to use it because I felt like it kind of encapsulates the whole Head experience here. So we get to track two, or technically band B as it's listed on the album jacket, Porpoise Song. The song is used at the beginning of the movie, when Mickey Dolenz jumps off a bridge to escape being chased. He's then rescued from drowning by two mermaids, and, spoiler alert, the song comes back at the end of the movie, when this time the entire band jumps off the bridge, and they appear to swim away, and then discover they're actually inside an aquarium on the back of a truck. The truck drives away, and the monkeys are in the glass box. Porpoise Song was co-written and produced by Jerry Goff, whose name is misspelled on the original pressing. He co-wrote this with then wife Carol King. Those two are best known for writing number one hits like The Locomotion, Will You Love Me Tomorrow, and Take Good Care of My Baby. Porpoise Song was also released as a single, the only single from the soundtrack, peaking at number sixty-two. In a rare move, the single version is actually longer than the album version. Up next is Diddy Diego War Chant. Songwriting credits here go to Bob Rafelson and Jack Nicholson. Hey the monkeys. You know we love to please a manufactured image with no philosophies. We hope you like our story, although there isn't one. That is to say, there's many. That way, there is more fun. You've told us you like action and games of many kind. You like to dance, we like to sing, so let's all lose our minds. We know it doesn't matter, because what you came to see is what
1: we'd love to give you, and give it one, two, three. But it may complete you one, two, or jump from nine to five, and when you see the end inside, the beginning may arrive. For those who look for meanings, inform as they do fact, we might tell you one thing, but... This
0: leads directly into Circle Sky, which is a Mike Nesmith original. It's actually a live performance of the song that's shown in the film, intercut with footage from the Vietnam War, but the version on the soundtrack is a studio recording and might possibly have the loudest mixed percussion I've ever heard. You Dig It is up next. It's a Peter Tork original, sung by Mickey Dolans.
1: Something doesn't change. There is only one. Always changing inside. What does it become? You let it show.
0: With the exception of Porpoise Song, the rest of the soundtrack was produced by the Monkees. It's a mix of songs, score, and dialogue from the film.
1: And uh, I'd like a glass of uh, cold gravy with a hair in it, please.
0: That's literally the closer of Side 1, a track just called Gravy. That's it. That's the entire track. And Side 2 starts in a similar fashion, with a track called Superstition. It's just a seven-second clip of dialogue from a 1934 film called The Black Cat. But I'm going to move right past that and go to As We Go Along. This is another Carol King co-write, but here, the other co-writer is lyricist Tony Stern, who also co-wrote King's 1971 number one hit, It's Too Late. Next is Daddy's Song, sung by Davy Jones and written by the legendary Harry Nilsson, who in 2015 was ranked number 62 on Rolling Stone's list of the 100 greatest songwriters of all time. After another mostly dialogue track called Poll, we get Long Title, Do I Have to Do This All Over Again. This is another track written by Peter Tork. Hey,
1: stay, time to fix things by yourself. I more just some kind of deal. Yeah, but won't you tell me when all when my soul comes off the show.
0: Though the monkeys were playing their own instruments at this point, the album still features several session players, including bassist Jerry Sheff, who is a member of Elvis' TCB band, keyboards by Rock and Roll Hall of Famer Leon Russell, the aforementioned Stephen Stills plays some guitar, there's drums from Buffalo Springfield's Dewey Martin, and some guitar from Neil Young. The album's closer is Swami plus strings, etc., It's a mix of dialogue, clips from previous songs, as well as a string arrangement from British film composer Ken Thorne.
1: before the venom reaches my heart okay i will
0: (laughs) in addition to the misspelling of jerry goff the original album pressing featured a front cover with a surface of aluminized film which was meant to reflect the listener's head back at them this was changed for later pressings but then brought back with a different method using foil paper instead several other versions have been reissued over the years including a three-disc deluxe edition from Rhino Records that includes outtakes, rarities, and interviews. The soundtrack did fare a little better than the actual film, peaking at number 45 on the Billboard 200. But in the years since, Head the movie has gained a bit of a cult following, and the soundtrack has lived on too. In 2013, Rolling Stone included the album on their 25 greatest soundtracks of all time list, coming in at number 25. The original run of the monkeys lasted until 1971 and they released three more albums before they disbanded but head would be the last monkeys album to feature vocals from peter tork until 1987 and it was the last to feature all four members until their 1996 album just us which by the way included a new version of circle sky In 1991, Mickey Dolenz would re-record Porpoise Song for an album labeled For Children of the 60s to the 90s, entitled Mickey Dolenz Puts You to Sleep. But that is for another time.